scripture reading for today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bora. We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, but this Sunday we're taking a break uh, to consider fellowship groups. As you heard from Doug, um, groups are the foundation of our church, and we're going to put some of our group leaders in front of you. Uh, I'm going to invite them up at the end of the sermon. But first, we're going to talk, look at this passage and see why groups are important, why they are the foundation of the church and Christian growth. So let's have a look. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Who are they? So you can see this is the book of Acts. The beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the records of the eyewitnesses to Jesus. We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's record of what he saw Jesus do and say. And so the four Gospels are where we learn about Jesus, what he did, how he was, how he treated people, the kinds of things that were important to him. At the end of the Gospels, the four Gospels, you get the book of Acts, called the book of Acts because those are the acts of the apostles. What happened after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then his glorification when he returns to the Father? And the book of Acts begins with the apostles gathered watching Jesus as he is glorified or as he returns to the Father. And then just as he promised, the Holy Spirit descends, Pentecost, spirits of, uh, flames of fire on the apostles' heads. They begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to talk with passion. Peter gives the first Christian sermon, and 3,000 people become Christians after the first sermon by Peter. That's all in Acts 1 and 2. And so when we get here to Acts 42, uh, chapter 2, 42, this is the 3,000 people. Who, they've just become Christians. They've just heard the first Christian sermon. People have received the Holy Spirit. And this tells you what happens next. How did people respond to becoming Christians? What did it look like? They, the 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is what we have now as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were the records, the memories, the anecdotes that the, the, the apostles told people about Jesus. To fellowship. Uh, uh, apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is a special word I'm going to talk about later, koinonia. It's more than just hanging out with people. This is a union of people, heart, and mind and soul coming together to the breaking of bread 
and to prayer. Well, we're going to break bread together in a moment. What you are seeing here are the foundations of the Christian church. This is where it began, and this is where we learn how to behave as Christians. This is an introductory course, the book of Acts, to Christian culture. How the church behaved at the very beginning, filled with the Holy Spirit after the first sermon, while the apostles were still alive. What did Peter say to them that caused 3,000 to become Christians? He said this, and these are the verses right before 42. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What does Peter say? Recognize Jesus as Lord. We've been talking about that as we look through the Gospel of Mark, how Jesus is the returned king, and he institutes the kingdom of God. All you have to do to be part of that kingdom is to turn away from your old life, a life without God, to a life with God, where Jesus is Lord. And be baptized. Baptism, the washing of water, is symbolic. In fact, it becomes more than symbolic the more you think about it. It's symbolic of Christ washing away our sins with his blood. And as you spend more time in his kingdom, that becomes the reality of your life. And so what is our job as a Christian church? To follow Peter's example, to share Jesus Christ, and to invite people into his kingdom. Before he left them, Jesus said this to the apostles, the last thing he said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the job of every Christian now. We live in the age of the Christian church. This is our job description. And when this church was founded, we actually all went together on a retreat, the founders of this church, and we came up with a purpose statement. What were we going to try to do? And this is what we wrote. It's still our purpose statement. Our job as a Christian church is to proclaim his truth, that is Jesus' truth, to share Jesus and what he taught with other people, become his disciples, that is learn to follow him, let him be the lead, take the agenda of our life from him, and serve our neighbors all to God's glory. Not consider this some kind of selfish club to be held on too tight, but to bring other people in and serve those people who for whatever reason can't come in. Share God's grace, God's love to everybody without regard to who they are. So how do you do that? That's a tall order. That's what a Christian church is all about. Well, to do that, 
to give up your old life to become Christ-like is hard. It means becoming like him, having his character. How do you do that? Do you just tell people about him? Do you just read a good book? Do you just go on a course? No, you don't. There was a, a book written some years ago by a sociologist, James Hunt. And he noticed, this started back in the 90s and early 2000s, in business, in law, in all kinds of corporate life, there was a failure of character, failure of morality, people doing things that were inappropriate. And there was a big fuss in the media and in the culture, how do we create moral people? How do we have business leaders who are moral? How can we make corporate practice moral? How do you have moral policemen and judges and lawyers? And so there was, in the 90s, a huge move to teach people to be moral to have classes, to have seminars, to make it part of MBAs, to make it part of college curriculums, to have it in high school. I mean, you look at all the exaltations around here, around this gym, trying to teach kids to be moral, good citizens. And so James Hunt looked at all these programs, uh, 20 years of different programs, programs on the left, programs on the right, and what did he discover? He looked at business, he looked at law, he looked at medical schools teaching et uh, ethics, he looked at colleges and high schools, he looked everywhere he could find. And what he found was none of them made any difference whatsoever. The liberal ones trying to raise self-esteem, the conservative ones focused on treating traditional values, traditional morals, none of them made any difference to the kids, to the students, to the lawyers, to the doctors, to the corporate leaders. Why? Because that's not how you become a moral citizen, a moral person. It's not how your character is changed. Your character, every human being this is true for, your character, your values, your morals, don't come from posters. They don't come from self-help books. They come from your culture. They come from your family. They come from your friends and your neighbors. They come from the people who are important in your life. Our character, our culture, morality, good, bad, what we think is important, all those things come from the people that we live with. We do what we see our parents do. We behave the way we see our friends behave. That's why we hang out with them. We learn the culture of our neighbors. We become what we devote ourselves to. That is the source of our character, our most significant relationships, the people that we love and live with. And you know this is true. How many of your shelves are filled with self-help books. How to be a better parent or a spouse or a lover, or a better employee, better boss, a better student, to become healthier, wealthier, smarter, more creative, more lovable, better at timekeeping, better at bookkeeping, cooking, remembering names. I've got three of those books. 
books and folders on your shelf that have made no difference whatsoever to your life. You've forgotten what is even in them any anymore. Why? Because that's not how you were changed or transformed. It is the culture you embed yourself in. It is the people that you devote yourself to that will transform you. Look at verse 46. Every day, remember this is the early church, the 3,000. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They learned to become Christians together because they spent time together in each other's homes. They had meals together. Once a week, they would go to the temple, which would be the equivalent of us coming to church. But the rest of the time, they spent time together, living together. And that's how they became the Christian church. You know, you can go, and I've seen it, to church for years and years and years without any transformation. Why? Because you don't really show yourself at church. You put on your best, or at least your cleanest clothes. You come here, and if anybody asks you how you're doing, you say, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And you sit down, and you smile, and you sing, and then you shake hands at the end, and you go back to your life. And how much of yourself has really been shared? How much of yourself is known to other people? Not much. But what if you're in a group? And as I say, I'm going to show you some fellowship groups at the end. You meet, a, you meet, hopefully, every week. And you can put on a show once a week with a large group of people. But if you're meeting with a small group every week and you're talking and praying and sharing with each other, pretty soon that facade breaks. Pretty soon the real you is revealed. And you start dealing with the real problems of your life. And you hear the real issues that other people face. You start getting involved. You start becoming fellowship, union, a new community, a new kind of person. It's the place you can ask questions without feeling stupid. It's the way that you see how Christians behave. How do they deal with problems? How do they, what do they laugh at? What do they think is good? What do they think is bad? How do they deal with each other? How do they help each other? And most importantly, you learn what grace is all about. The great gift that Jesus brought us. Why is that key? Well, the best example I know is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a German pastor in... Uh, Nazi Germany, where the Christian church was either told to submit or be punished, and he was part of the church that did not submit. They formed an underground community. To be a part of it was death. He, he actually ended up being killed by the Nazis. And you had to trust people. Imagine that you've come to a group where a single person could betray everybody. Think of the level of trust that demands. And they didn't just meet, they lived together. They formed a community. It was a dangerous community to be part of because of the threat 
from the Nazis, but also the threat from inside. He wrote a book about it called Life Together, a wonderful book. Uh, it was one of the key texts that we used at seminary about Christian life. And he wrote this about the importance of Christian community, about how it works. He who is alone in his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship and all their fellowship in service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though, because though they have fellowship with one another as devout people, they do not have fellowship with each other as sinners. They have fellowship as devout, that means with the facade up. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Everything is fine. We're all good, happy Christians, no problems. See you next Sunday. But it is not until that facade falls away and that you get to see the real person, the sinful person, the person with problems, the person who is alone with their sin, that is real connection. The pious fellowship, and by the way, when he, when he says pious, he means that facade. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. Pious fellowship, shiny, happy people holding hands, no problems, no conflict, no sadness, no humanity. By the way, that kind of fellowship is a miserable one to be part of. Who would want to be part of such a group of people? But it is the grace of the gospel that says and confronts us with the truth, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to God who loves you. He doesn't want anything from you, a sacrifice or a work. He wants you alone. This message is liberation through truth. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You can dare to be a sinner. You can dare to be a real person. You can dare to share your real problems and know that because everybody else is a sinner, they're not going to condemn you. This, by the way, is, is where the philosophy of Alcoholics Anonymous came from. Beginning with absolute truth and admitting who you are and the fact that you are helpless. That is the beginning of true fellowship, true relationship, because we're all in the same boat. Now, one thing I should say to you, fellowship groups are not therapy groups. Sometimes people use them like that and just come and dump all their problems. That is not what a group is all about. It is through relationship and built up trust that it works. There are all kinds of people in our groups, some perhaps who are not even Christian. So don't just go in there and blurt it all out on the first day. Um, the first group I was ever part of, this was 30 years ago, uh, 
there's a, a fellow called Arvind So in that group, and he is still my best friend. In fact, I was just in London with him. We have shared so much for so long. He prayed with me every Monday for the first five years of my pastorate, shared all of the problems with him. And yet there are still things that I don't share with, still things that Arvind doesn't know about me. I mean, I'm his, uh, I'm godfather to his youngest. I did his wedding. I, we're pretty close. And yet I realized on this trip, there are things I don't share with him. Why? Because there's only one person you can share everything with, and that's Jesus. Don't dump everything on another sinner. Only Jesus' shoulders are strong enough and broad enough to take all your sin. That's why we confess to him. But as trust builds up, you will have and develop authentic relationships, real relationships with people that don't depend on you being perfect. That's the point. Relationships that allow you to share your problems. And something else, actually. I mentioned this word koinonia. It's what we call our groups, fellowship groups, koinonia groups. When Jesus came into the world, he doesn't just show up. The Bible says that he was sent by the Father and that he was filled at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God. Jesus is one part of that single God. And what does he do when he forms a fellowship group? He shares his spirit with the disciples. That's what happened at Pentecost. He shares his relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit with his disciples. He forms a group out of them, the 12 disciples, who will become the apostles, who will become the foundation of the church. And he makes a promise to the disciples, to us, where two or more are gathered, there I will be. Well, we've invited him here. His spirit is here. We're going to consume him right here at the table in a moment. When you think fellowship, don't think social club. When you hear the word fellowship, think koinonia, the divine life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. An infinite and ongoing giving of love and delight and joy and respect one to another. It is the divine community, the divine fellowship, the divine love. And that is what we're being invited into. You know, Bonhoeffer, when he talks about life together, he said, the problem with life together is we are sinful. There's nothing worse than other people. Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. And that would be true if it wasn't for grace. Our ability to forgive and be forgiven is the basis of Christian fellowship, koinonia. And so this is an apprenticeship. The people that you see when you look around are the people who are going to be in relationship with you from all, for all eternity. The relationships and every word that you share right now is just the beginning. It is going to grow 
in depth and in richness forever. We are being prepared and we are being given the first taste of eternal life, of the relationship that God shares in the very core of who he is. And it's available for free. That's why groups are important. That's why the church is important. That's why, and maybe this is a radical thing to say, but I personally believe, based on my experience, if you're not in a fellowship group, you're not really in the church. Showing up once a week on Sunday is not going to do it. You can do that for years and years and years and never share your real intimate self. Join a group. Trust enough to make yourself, stop making yourself vulnerable, and you will be amazed at the transformation in who you are. That's the promise. All right, so I've said enough. I'd like to invite our group leaders and our hosts up, and they're going to tell you a little bit about themselves. guys stand in front of the table here. So the, these are some of our group leaders. They are going to tell you um, when they meet, what they're studying, and that's about it. <laughs> you can say a little bit more if you want. But uh, who are you? What's your group about? Uh, hello, my name is Nathan. This is my wife, Robin. We're going to be hosting a group at our house. Um, and... Uh, anyone's welcome. Um, we're not entirely sure what we're going to be doing yet. Maybe uh, like a, a book of the Bible, something easy like Romans. That's that's a joke. Um, but uh, if you if you're interested um, in in being a part of a group, we'd love to have you. And uh, you could just come talk to us after the service. Uh, we are in Union City. It's um, the part of Union City we're in is, is uh, just north of Jersey City Heights. It's known as West Hoboken. Um, and we have, we have some parking um, available. So. Hi, I'm Robin. Okay. Uh, I'm Robin, and I lead uh, the Moms Ministry, and we have two groups. One is um, on Wednesday mornings every week, and we're going through Living So That. Um, making faith-filled choices in a messy life. Um, and then the other one is a new group for working moms, and it's once a month, and we had our first meeting, and it was just wonderful. So if you're interested in that, just let me know, and I'll add you to the email list. Good morning. My name is Peyton Bryant. Uh, my colleague here is Matt Rivera. Hello. We're going to be co-leading a group in downtown Hoboken, hosted by Tim and Taylor Green. They live at, in Garden Second. Um, we're going to be fellowshipping together. We're going to uh, be studying God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, and what it means to live in grace and be in fellowship together. How that expresses itself will we'll determine as a group as we get started, whether it's reviewing sermons, looking at a specific book. Um, Tuesday nights, 7.30, downtown, uh, downtown Hoboken. Uh, Matt, do we anything else? Nope, I'm good. Sweet. I am Jeremy Thompson, and I'll be co-hosting a group with Godfrey Chan. Uh, we'll be we'll be meeting at my house, 
uh, which is near ShopRite. So uh, if you do live in the Heights, you can come down the elevator. Or if you're in Hoboken, you can just walk on over. And we're tentatively meeting on Tuesdays at 7.30. And the uh, topic is to be determined. Thanks, Jeremy. Hi, I'm Samantha. My husband, Doug, and I host a group um, usually on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock, um, but we're a little bit flexible just to get as many people to come as we can since everybody's working. Uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're up in Weehawken. And Sam usually bakes something. Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm Kevin. We have a group uh, in Jersey City that um, follows a... a unique format for those of us whose schedules are just very challenging and it makes it hard to fellowship. It's very important that we find a way. And so we, uh, we meet three times a month. Um, men meet once, women meet once, and then we all meet together. Right now we're taking advantage of the parents' night out um, as an opportunity to get all of us together all at once because there's built-in daycare for the people who have kids. And so we've been meeting on those nights as a, as a whole group. The men are meeting on the 12th. Uh, this Thursday, I don't know when the women are meeting next because I won't be going to that that particular arrangement. But and uh, we, much like what Peyton was saying, we, we get together to fellowship, to share and to to struggle with one another and to pray for one another and to talk about what God is doing in our lives and share our challenges and our hopes and pray for one another because it's it's tough sometimes to to live in this area and work and have families and and I have our families are all far away from our from us and so. It's a great opportunity to uh, be a fellowship, to be a koinonia. So I'm Jen, and I'm also in, in Kevin's group, so I do have the women's schedule if that interests you, let me know. Um, also, I just want to say I started um, some clipboards in the front. If you can make sure that they kind of circulate through um, this, this section, the, one of the four sections are in, that would be nice, um, directly back. And um, so fill that out if you're interested. I will be um, making sure that you get you know, information about all these groups. It will also be in the upcoming e-letter. But if you're looking for, to gen for general information or to get plugged in and you're not quite sure where to go, I'm a good person to ask. So Robin, when was the Working Mothers Group? So get on the email list if you're interested in uh, Robin's uh, group for working women. Um, here you have your groups. Consider talking to them after the service. Look at their faces. Uh, ask them about groups. Uh, they'd love to talk to you and answer your questions. Um, let's pray for them. And um, let's pray for our church and our fellowship groups. Lord, we thank you. What a gift you have given us, sharing yourself, sharing your relationship. Uh, with Father and Holy Spirit, uh, inviting us to be part of your divine koinonia. You promised, Lord, where two or more are gathered in your name, there you will be. And so, Lord, we ask in your name that you would be in our groups. You'd be in our church. You would be transforming lives, that we would experience your beautiful presence. Uh, and, Lord, may everything that is said and done in our groups, in our church, in our service, glorify you glorify your church. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you all.